In my recent week off, I read another book by contemporary preacher and podcaster and writer Rob Bell. I have referenced other Rob Bell books that I have read lately. He has several very good ones. And his most recent book, just out this year, is entitled, What is the Bible? How an Ancient Library of Poems, Letters, and Stories Can Transform the Way You Think and Feel About Everything. Now, you might be thinking, why would I be interested to read a book entitled, What is the Bible? I do indeed have two master's degrees and a doctorate, uh, and all of them very much related to the Bible and what's in the Bible. I have overflowing bookshelves in my study, most of them books about theology and the Bible. This title, What is the Bible?, seems so elementary and basic. But I found Bell's book to be so very provocative, so very helpful, and even inspiring. He begins one chapter like this. What's the best question to ask when you're reading the Bible? And here it is. Why did people find this so important to write it down? When we start with that question, we open ourselves to all kinds of of answers that really might change our lives. Give us a a glimpse of God's steadfast love and promises. Uh, Give us a sense of our identity as God's beloved people. Give us a fresh purpose in which we can live better lives, loving God and serving God in the world. We just could begin with that question. Why did people write this down? We might find some powerful answers. And then there's a second good question, Rob Bell says, and that second good question is, why did this passage endure? Or put another way, why is it still around thousands of years later? Why did people risk their lives to preserve and protect this piece of literature? What does this passage teach us about what it means to be alive as a human being here in the world now, today? And the answer is... This passage speaks to our human experience. This is a message here. There is a message here that's very important for our lives today. For example, the prayers and the poems of the Psalms have endured because they speak so much truth about our hearts, our minds, our hopes, our dreams, our feelings, our desires. They name everything that is inside of us. They give language to the human condition. Praise and thanks, angst and anger, confusion, despair, joy, sorrow. The Psalms show us what a healthy spiritual life looks like. The Psalms give words to the human condition. And if you don't drag it up, and give it words, then it's buried down there in your being somewhere, and it will come out in other ways. 
It will come out in other ways. You keep it all bottled up, and you will be miserable. The passages endure because they help us live, live fully, live in God's presence, live loving God, serving God in the world. There are the creation stories that remind us that life comes from God and life is sustained by God. There are the prophets who remind us what God hates and what God demands of us. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies, Isaiah says. I hate how you trample the needy, Moses conveys. Micah calls out those who covet fields and seize them and houses that, and take them. Why did people write this down? Why has this endured? Well, they speak truth to power, these words. They name injustice and oppression, these words. They remind us how we're called to live as God's people in the world. These messages, these stories were written and they endure because they are about what it means to be a human being, what it means to belong to God, what it means to live in God's world. So perhaps you can get a glimpse of why I thought this book was quite provocative and helpful and stimulating for me. So let's turn now to a particular passage, and it's the passage that's for today. It comes from Ephesians 1, and I invite you to look closely at it as I read it aloud. It's in your bulletin, in your insert for the hymns. Listen to Ephesians 1 and read along silently as I read aloud. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love, he destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his gracious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. This opening section of Ephesians is a blessing, a blessing to God who has blessed us so abundantly. A blessing to God who has blessed us so abundantly. And you know what? In Greek... In the Greek text, this whole paragraph is actually one long-running sentence. 
Each phrase is loosely connected to the next one, and the whole passage unfolds in a literary tone that intends to fill our hearts and fill our lives with the very essence of the truth. Truth with a capital T. The truth, blessed be God, who's blessed us so much. You know, when we get to living life, it's easy to get covered up with life. It's easy to get so covered up that we don't even see God's blessings. You've heard me say this before. Our greatest sin is not something we do or don't do. Our greatest sin, our biggest challenge, is that we forget. We forget. We forget about God's boundless love and abiding presence that's always with us. We forget that we have been chosen before the foundation of the world to be God's beloved children. We forget that God looks at us and sees us and because of Christ, sees us holy. Holy people, set apart, blameless even, for life with God. We forget that we're God's beloved children called to this covenant life in the world. We've been redeemed from anything that can separate us from God. That's the promise. We forget it. We have a destiny, an inheritance, it says twice in this passage. A destiny, no matter what happens to us, our destiny is with God. That's our inheritance, promised forever. All of this is laid out in this flowing, run-on sentence that opens Ephesians. So why is this passage uh, important? And why has this passage endured? Why is it still around? Why has it been preserved? Because in this run-on sentence, this long paragraph of clauses that heap upon each other, that flow from one one another, In this one run-on sentence, this long paragraph, we have the very essence of the gospel, the best news of God, truth for our lives. Nearly every phrase evokes a classic Christian doctrine. God creates and rules the world. God chooses us in love before the foundation of the world. God adopts us as children. God bears with us, forgives us keeps loving us, calls us to life and purpose and praise and work, serving God in the world. This is such, such a rich and wonderful passage. And then right in the middle of it, and I want you to look at it again, right in the middle of this passage is a truth that deserves actually very special attention today. I'm talking about part of verse 9 and part of verse 10. Take a look. With all wisdom and insight, God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Wait, what? Did you catch it? Gather up all things. 
Did you notice? Do you see how important that is? In the fullness of time, God intends to gather up all things. So that phrase, all things, is the word pas in Greek, and it translates literally all things. You thought I was going to say something really profound or <laughs> subtle about the It says all things. That's what it means. All things. God, in the fullness of time, intends to gather up all things. It is also translated God is going to bring unity to all things. Or God is going to sum up all things. Or God is going to recapitulate all things. Or God is going to bring together all things. This, friends, is a big deal. A very big deal. A big truth to understand as people of faith. As people of faith who live sometimes in very troublesome, heartbreaking lives in the world. This is a big deal. It means just as God creates the world and calls it good, God is going to complete everything. Everything. Just as God chooses us, loves us, looks at us, bears with us, names us children, adopts us, gives purposes for our lives, God also brings unity to all things, gathers up all things in the fullness of time, everything is going to be made right by God and with God. That is gospel. Here's a way to think about this. Last week, as many of you, as many of you know, uh, Ginger and I were with our kids and with their kids at the beach for a week. We love being with our loved ones. You do too. And when we're together, as you might guess, we recall memorable stories from our family. And we just start telling them again. For some reason, this summer, several of the stories had to do with some family camping trips that we have taken. We had to retell the stories. And as often is the case, when you retell the stories, what were the very worst parts, the scary parts, the nasty parts? They get the most attention and are seen always in a new light. They become not the nasty parts, the worst parts, the scary parts. They become the best parts. The story we, the, that we retold happened nearly 20 years ago. 20 years ago when our kids were much younger, we were on a camping trip and we were staying in a campground in upstate New York on our way to see Niagara Falls and to visit in Canada. On this particular night, Ginger was with our two girls in the campground bathroom and Sandy and I uh, were at the campsite this was as darkness was coming, and we were all getting ready for bed. We had finished our dinner, and we were sort of uh, doing our final preparations before climbing into our sleeping bags, winding down, uh, cleaning up, getting ready for the night. And just at that time, with Ginger and the girls in the campground bathroom, Sandy and I in our camp setting, a skunk walked right into our campsite. This situation generates immediately fear and 
confusion. What do you do? We certainly didn't want to alarm the skunk and have everything on our trip filled with odor. That would mean our tent, our sleeping bags, our clothes, our car. This would ruin the whole trip. He was sniffing around the tent. He was sniffing around the picnic table. He was under our car. If we startled the skunk, he would spray us. If we left him alone, he might stay there the whole night. If we tried to coax him out, who knows what would happen. And our fears rose and our uncertainty increased. We kept our distance. As our concern increased, we figured we had to do something. We had to do something. This whole time, Ginger and the girls are still in the bathroom, oblivious to the scene and the skunk taking over our campground. For me and Sandy, this is terrible. Then I got the idea that maybe, maybe from a distance, I could get my keys and push the alarm button on my keys and blow the horn on the car. Blow the horn on the car, which might be enough just to scare him out of there without having him spray us. So I got the key. I pushed the alarm button. The horn screamed, wee-oh, 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 wee-oh. And I'm just sure the tent, the cars, the clothes are all going to get sprayed. The horn kept going, wee-oh, wee-oh. And eventually, thankfully, the skunk wandered away. It was a frightening evening. But you know what? When we tell the story now, when we tell the story now, it's less about the skunk. It's less about the fears. It's a humorous story about Ginger and the girls in the bathroom wondering what idiot is letting his alarm go off in the <laughs> campground, disrupting the quiet of the campground. What idiot is letting the alarm go off on his car? That's what they're thinking. The scary moments of the skunk. The fear, the uncertainty, it's all seen in a new light. The fears, the concerns are enfolded. They're recapitulated. They are summed up. They are gathered up. Nothing is forgotten. But everything is seen differently. That's what this passage is trying to convey. God is going to bring unity. God is going to gather things up. God is going to redeem all things. All things. One camping story leads to another. When our son was just months old, we spent the summer in New Hampshire, and I was in graduate school, and we decided to take a trip across to upstate New York and do some camping, and we were in a campground lying in our tent. This would be me and Ginger and our little baby, four months old, lying between us uh, in the tent. And there were warnings in this campground about bears, and sure enough, that night, a big bear uh, made his way through the campground and was breathing literally right here outside the tent wall from my head, a thin piece of nylon separating the bear from us and our baby. 
the guy in the camping spot next to us saw the bear and he started yelling and banging pans and throwing bottles to scare the bear away. We just laid in our tent, frightened, totally afraid, basically defenseless, while the bear lingered right outside our tent, uh, rumbling around our area before moving along. Again, a frightful and fearful night, one paw swipe from a bear in our tent. But when we tell the story now, when we tell that story now, it's less about the bear, it's less about the fear, and it's all about, wow, what a cool experience. (laughs) All all things, see, have been gathered up. All things have been enfolded in a new way. Our thinking has been transformed. All things are really brought to unity. Unity. This is what God is always about with our lives and our deepest heartaches. In the fullness of time, God's going to gather up all things, all things. This is what God does. This is what God promises. This is what brings God pleasure and joy. God's care prevails. That's the promise. All things all things. This is what we trust. This is what we live into, no matter what we're facing. All things gathered up. All things seen in a new light, in God's time, redeemed, made whole. There will be a retelling. There'll be a restoring. There'll be a reconciling. There'll be a renewing. All things This is the promise of the gospel. This is the promise of the Bible. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, everywhere, all things. So that means uh, the tensions with North Korea, the tensions with Russia, the uncertainty about our environment, all things. So that means um, the difficulties of the Richmond public schools, the challenges of our housing projects, including too many gun deaths, all things. Racism? Wait, what? All things. Your broken heart about your child? Or some other heartache that bears such weight in your life? All things. Your battle with the latest issue? Or depression? Or cancer? Or heart disease? All things. All things gathered up. In God's care, all things. Fractured relationships, shameful memories that you carry, all things gathered up, brought to unity, made whole, redeemed in God's loving care. That's the promise. 
Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that fantastic? It's so easy to miss. It's like Rob Bell says. You're stuck in a hotel in Des Moines in February, and you look out in the drawer in the nightstand, and you pull out the Gideon Bible, and you randomly open it, and it comes to the first chapter of Ephesians, and you start reading, and it's that one long sentence that hardly makes sense, and you're tempted to, like everybody else, just skip right over it and wonder when it's going to make more sense or get to something really good and understandable. But then you slow down and you let it sink in. And you think about it and you realize it's the gospel message. Indeed, all things gathered up just might make you feel alive. Just might remind you, you belong to God and nothing can separate you from God's love. It just might inspire you to live today and tomorrow and the next day and forever loving and serving God. Just might. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. And mold us more and more by your Spirit in the ways of faith hope, love, and life following Christ our Lord. Amen.